It's another edition of the Shea Anything Podcast. It's another edition of the Shea Anything Podcast presented by Aetna, Better Health of New Jersey, a New Jersey family care health care plan helping you live your happiest and healthiest life. For more information, go to www.aetnabetterhealth.com slash New Jersey. We've got a sponsor now. Wow. Yeah, I'm we've impressed. come a long way. I'm and for impressed. anyone out there who's <laughs> noticing that that's not Andy Martino's voice, it's the voice of John Harper. Nice enough to come on the podcast. Uh, Andy is on vacation for the next couple weeks. Um, Harp, I'm especially happy to have you on because you've been piquing my curiosity on Twitter over the weekend. You always do, but sometimes your tweets become columns. One of them is today about the Mets and what they might be able to do in the Cubs series. We'll get to all of that. Um, but since we last spoke, everybody, fascinating since we last spoke edition, uh, because they swept Cleveland and got swept by the Braves. So three and three. Um, honestly, the pitching has been the bright spot. Uh, and there were some bumps and bruises along the way, but a 2.44 ERA in that span. In terms of the offense, 2.22 batting average, 6.18 uh, combined team OPS, four, only four homers and 22 runs batted in in that three and three stretch. Um, so this conversation that Harp and I are about to have is a lot about starting pitching, um, more good than bad, but as it pertains to John Harper in particular, <laughs> the bad is a little bit more painful. Yes. Because, you know, you don't have favorites in your profession, but Zach Wheeler is somebody that you have been professing as a guy who would turn it around. And last year we thought it was finally happening in the second half. Feels like appears, my adopted son. Yes. <laughs> you have a very close tie to him somehow. And I have to imagine that it's a little bit disappointing to be watching kind of same old Wheeler right now. Absolutely. And, you know, he's, he went through struggles early in the year, seemed like he, was, he got through it, and he had, he had a really nice stretch, which, co which kind of uh, coordinated with the time when the, they decided not to trade him. Had a couple good starts right after the trade deadline, and now these last couple have just been, you know, yeah, you, same old Wheeler where the command, he just, you know, command's not there on the fastball gets himself in trouble, walks guys in, you know, I mean, just some some mistake pitches that you just can't make. He throws an 0-1 changeup the other night to Albies, a left-handed hitter on the inner half of the plate. All he's got to do is drop the head on it, hits a home run, uh, grooves one for Donaldson. And, yeah, I mean, it really does disappoint me because I thought he was past this. Now I'm starting to really think he may never get to the point where he can really get past all these command issues. I think he's always going to have streaks when he's going to tease you and be that guy for little for streaks where he looks like, wow, almost DeGrom-like. But it just doesn't seem like, you know, and then to hear him talk after the game, it's almost like he, it's almost like it's, you know, to hear him, it's almost like it's out of his control. Like he doesn't really yeah. have control of it. Ah, uh, this stuff wasn't there. Yeah, but you got to be better than that. If you're going to be an elite pitcher, you got to be able to figure it out on the fly and self-correct things like that. Things like that he doesn't seem to be able to do. Well, so how are we supposed to view what happened last year? Because for those of, of us who might have thought that he was a different pitcher now, that he was fixed, that his inconsistencies were behind him, are we supposed to just think that he went through a really hot stretch where everything was working and that was not the pitcher he actually is? Well, I do think you, you at least have to bring up the fact that they were completely out of it. That's true. And that there was no pressure from a team standpoint. There's always pressure on a professional athlete to perform, but there was no pressure from where the team was going. Now all of a sudden you're in a pennant race, and there's, there's a different kind of pressure there. And maybe that 
kind of infiltrates into his whole process somehow because, uh, I don't know, I, he doesn't seem like a guy where that stuff kind of bothers him, but you at least have to, at least have to ask the question because there's, it's, uh, that stretch last year was phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're right. To do it that long, that's why I thought he really had, he had, he had gotten over the hump. But So I, I have to factor that in at least, the pressure part of it. Well, you know what's funny is as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about his free agency and what that'll be like and how the Mets might view their future with or without him. And, you know, you just used the word phenomenal looking back at last year, and it really was phenomenal. The problem that I see is some team, whether they you know, whether they're getting fooled or not, some team will look at last year and then look at the radar gun this year and say, we have the pitcher. Like, that guy exists and might give him a lot of money knowing the potential that he still has. Yeah, I, I, think, I think somebody might because uh, he is one of those guys where – and you heard – look, you, you, we, we saw Andy Martino wrote a lot about it. The Yankees really liked him before the trade deadline. I think he's one of those guys that teams like the Yankees – heavy analytics teams like the Yankees – the Astros, teams like that, would love to get their hands on, thinking they could do for him what, you know, the Astros have done for Garrett Cole, stuff like that. And it, they might, that might be the case. Uh, but I don't know if it's as much about pitch selection, which is – that had to do some, something to do with Cole, as it is about commanding the, in the ball. Now, whether you can do that with analytics or not remains to be seen. But I do think he is a guy somebody will take a chance on as a free agent. Do you think the Mets – have any chance of being that somebody? I, that's a great question. I don't know. I, uh, I it depends. I think it depends what they decide. The, if Syndergaard finishes the way he is now, if they commit, they decide let's we're going to commit to Syndergaard as the next guy we give a lot of money to. I think they probably would pass on Wheeler at that point. Well, you know, he still has the month of September really to you yeah. know show us that 2018 second half Zach Wheeler but time is really running out and I wanted that storyline to happen again you know I wanted the this is just a great second half pitcher um, because he was inconsistent and Andy on the show actually has defended Wheeler a lot um, and I disagreed with him in the first half but at the same time you know, his baseball reference page, you know, was seven innings, four earned runs. Starts like that a lot, where he was giving the Mets a lot of length. He was. And they, they needed it. Yeah. Um, but but the those mistake pitches were killing him. Yes. Even, even when he, he'd have home another runs. Wise, yeah, the home runs were killing him early on. He, he started to limit, though, the home runs. But the other day was a perfect example. Those, those mistake pitches killed him. So, yeah. And the length has, for the most part, gone away, although he's just been ineffective at times as well. Um, there is good news elsewhere in the rotation, obviously. Um, let's go with Syndergaard first. This is a guy who's on the opposite trajectory, yeah. um, who was inconsistent and now is only just consistently dominant. I, I go back to that start, the rain-shortened start last week. He, the Mets had no Wilson and no Lugo. The Mets needed length yeah. from Noah Syndergaard. He was going to give them that. He was going I, eight at least. He was at least eight. Yeah. And that just shows you, you know, he's just on right now. Yeah. And I know the two games out of the wild card, that's still where the Mets are. They haven't lost a lot of ground. They're in a fine spot. Um, the fact that you have DeGrom and Syndergaard now as a formidable one-two punch again, that's, that's, that's really that's good. That's really big. If you think about making it into the postseason, that's what you need. So, yeah, I mean, this guy's turned it on. That's, what, seven or eight really, really good starts now. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it on BNNY. I, I, I'm convinced that somebody got through to him with the whole two-seamer thing and, and convinced him you, you have to live down in the zone. 
live down with that the the movement you get on your two seamer. Get guys to you can get early early swings. Get you can help your pitch count. Get ground balls because he hasn't been the same strikeout guy. He he has been early. He was early in his career, and you know you. You kind of laughed about it the other day, me asking him in spring training, are you going well, to be so able to throw up in the Let's chronicle that quickly. He's flip-flopped now, right? Yeah, well, because up, he, he's been back and forth, and now he's back to – He told you in spring training that he, he – wanted to throw more four-seamers. More four-seamers. He said he had fallen in love with – Artsy. Artsy. Artsy pitch, the two-seamer. Two he liked pitch. making it move. Basically, I think he was saying, you know, I like seeing myself on Twitter. Pitching Ninja loves the way my two-seamer moves. <laughs> and, you know, it has a lot of movement. It's a nasty pitch. But he admitted he, admitted he had made too many mistakes with it also because he would let it run to the middle of the plate right. at times. So he told you in spring training he wanted to throw more four-seamers. Right. He did that to start the year. was fairly ineffective. Right. And now you think he's back to knowing that he has to pitch low in the zone. Yeah, because, you know, we've talked about this too. He doesn't have that elite spin rate which is what you need if you want to pitch up in the zone and get the swings and misses like DeGrom has and like Wheeler has. And, you know, even early, even in spring training when Dave Island was there, Larry, he said he, he wanted Wheeler to, to use it as a pitch just to kind of throw it in, up and in more than anything just to get guys to get off the two-seamer and get them so they had to back off a little bit and respect the fact that he will come up in the zone. Because even that, that last start you mentioned against the uh, – who was it against? The Cleveland Indians. Cleveland, yeah. He did throw up a little bit. But and and with some effectiveness, but it's mostly because he establishes the two seamer now and the changeup, which is a really good pitch for him. So he goes two seamer changeup, and now he's he's learned how to throw that slider with more command again because he's not trying to throw it 95 miles an hour. So those three that that combination has really become a great combination for him. And he's not. This is I think he's averaging fewer strikeouts per nine this year than he has in any year in, in the big leagues. And that's just because he's willing to live down in the zone, live with the ground balls for the most part. Yeah, and what I just mentioned earlier, Mets need length. They're getting length because yeah. he's pitching a contact early and at-bats, not worried about the strikeout. I love what I'm seeing. And, you know, for tonight's show, it's funny. We're having a similar conversation on Baseball Night New York, and I believe in an email thread on our show tonight, Anthony McCarron just basically said, DeGrom's going to win the Cy Young tonight. And switching gears to DeGrom here uh, uh, this season, not tonight. But um, DeGrom... I don't know why. Even after last year, we did the show when he won the Cy Young Award. It has not hit me, his greatness, until this season. Because even as incredible as last year was, it was almost like I couldn't believe it. Yeah. The numbers were yeah. something I hadn't seen before. You know, I wasn't um, old enough to remember Doc Gooden. Uh, you know, these types of seasons um, don't come often. Then this year... There was some inconsistency earlier in the year. We know he, what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> Harp thinks he was tipping pitches or whatever it was. <laughs> we know what that. Yeah. There's Detective, confirmation on Detective that Detective John There's Harper has confirmed there. that he might have been tipping. <laughs> After that got solved, he's been unbelievable yeah. again. Yeah. He's been himself, which is now far and away, in my opinion, the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. I mean, you could make a case. If Scherzer hadn't got hurt, he'd be right there with him because he was having another – great year uh but but yeah i mean i i did a column on the weekend over this about this over the weekend you take those three starts out where i'm the pitch i'm convinced to pitch tip and he gave up 14 runs in 13 innings in those three starts other than that i mean come on that's the all-time anomaly uh you take those three starts out he has a, a, a 193 ra which isn't far from what he did last year you know so I mean, I wrote, you can't assume he would have dominated in those three starts, but he sure wasn't going to give up 14 runs unless there was something funny going on. And I can't tell you exactly what it was, but 
you know, I'm, I'm convinced that he was doing something. He admits that he was told he was doing something and made sure he wasn't doing it after that, although he, was still, he doesn't believe it completely. I think he just wants to say it. But, but you're right. He, I mean, he's been the best pitcher since then. And now, as I wrote, you know, the Yankees did him a favor by pounding Ryu the other night. Yep. Ryu, I think there's something magical, a little bit, not, I don't know, magical, but something about his ERA went to two rather than under two, Ryu, you know, it's, it's even two, which is still great. But there's something about it. if you have a one-something ERA, yep. it's awfully hard for not I to totally vote the agree. guy, the, the, ER, uh, the Cy Young. If it's in the two, even in the low twos, I think, it's a, I think voters look at it differently because now they, they're going to start bringing the peripheral numbers more into play. And DeGrom has the advantage, you know, most of those peripheral Well, so numbers. it's a little bit like... It's not exactly similar, but it's a little bit like like Ryu is DeGrom last year and DeGrom is Scherzer last year um, in some ways. But I just... Without the strikeouts. Though. Yes. Yeah. And Ryu, that one bad outing, you saw how much that ERA ballooned because you see how difficult it is to maintain yeah. a one-anything yeah. ERA. Um, do you think that he's got... What percentage would you put his chances at? DeGrom? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you who, Soroka should not be overlooked, the Braves. Mm. Uh, but he, I think they're going to slow his innings down, which He's is kind of the Aaron Nola of, yeah, of this year. But I, th I do think they'll slow his innings down. I think I give DeGrom, I'm going to say 60%. Wow. I'm going to say 60% because I think Ryu, I think they're going to be careful with him too going to the postseason. I think Ryu now is going to give up some more runs. I think, I think. He's had a fantastic run, but he lives so much on finesse more than yeah. you know, more than Degrom, which is the power and everything else. That you know the Yankees, you know the Yankees may have shown some teams how to hit him too. Uh, and so I just I have a feeling his ERA is going to end up in the low twos. Degrom's going to end up maybe mid twos to you know if, if he, if he would have to have. I mean he hasn't had a bad one in weeks now. So I and I think he's got the advantage on Soroka and Scherzer the back injury. It hasn't taken him out of it completely. He could still he could still make a run too. But all those other numbers that Scherzer used to dominate the innings pitch, the strikeouts. Now Degrom actually has the edge. So I, I yeah I think I don't think 60 is too high. I I'm realizing that I think part of the reason maybe that it's hitting me this year is because pitching around Major League Baseball is more difficult really than it's been since late 90s, early 2000s. It seems like hitters have the advantage. Whatever's happening with the baseball. And DeGrom, since Detective Harper got to the case and those three starts, has been so incredible that it's no longer like, wow, 2019 DeGrom is great. It is just, okay, th this is who he is. He's yeah. somehow a 1-9 ERA starter. It's crazy. Really. I can't remember the last time we had that. It's crazy. And, and for really, for two straight years, that just doesn't happen. And... Uh, it's interesting to me that we know now the wins that will not cost him the Cy Young, right. even though the Mets again are not, are not scoring nope. runs for him. He's got eight wins. But I wrote in this column that I do wonder if it could cost him Hall of Fame consideration down the road. He's got 60-something wins. So that's all he's got. And he's, you know, he's in his 30s now. So I looked it up. Sandy Koufax had 165 wins, and, and he got in because he was so dominant. You know, I mean, 300 was always the benchmark, and now that's going to come way down. 200 is more a more realistic benchmark, but even that now, starters we know don't go to as deep in the game. So I do wonder if there's still a standard that Hall of Fame voters will kind of have as far as, you know, getting a, a starting pitcher into the game. DeCrom could finish his career with 
150 wins, and that's probably on, might be on the upside. And he, you know, is that going to is that going to be enough to get him into the hall? That's I why. Mean, I, I mean, think. if he continues on this path. Yes, I mean, you can. I mean, if he has a two ERA for the next four years, I mean, that's why I think honestly the Cy Young conversation is worth having, and it's really important because if he wins back to back Cy Young, yeah, that would really help him. That that's the kind of that. window you look at yeah. where you're like, this is a you know a Roy Halladay level dominance right. window. That's and, what uh, uh, Koufax retired at age 30 because yep. of the elbow, but three of his last four seasons, he won Cy Young and finished third in the other year. So that kind of dominance is what can get you in. You know, Santana's not far from that, that kind of dominance. He had the two Cy Youngs and came close a couple other times, but then he faded so quickly that that, that works against him. So Interesting conversation, not for this podcast, but we were talking about in the newsroom a couple weeks ago. Do you have a, just quickly, do you have a go-to answer for best pitcher of all time? Because Koufax is in that conversation, yeah. but you just said, I mean. I always thought of Koufax as kind of, but, but it does, it, I mean, it's hard to say best when you, when you, you have to factor longevity into it right. somewhat. So That's why it's a tough answer. It is. I mean, you know, Randy Johnson, Steve Carlton, those names come to mind. Uh, no, I don't go back to Walter Johnson, believe it or not. <laughs> he was pretty good. Uh, but those, yeah, Bob good. Gibson, you know, yep. that's another one. Another one. one. Um, but Koufax always... He's kind of that, that guy that, I guess you call him an outlier just because he was so unbelievably good. If he had done that for just two or three more years, he would have been by far the best ever. All right, back to the Mets, though, and we're going to talk a couple more pitchers, and then we're going to talk about looking back at, at the Brave series and what it means and looking ahead to the Cubs. So we'll talk about Stroman in a second, but Mats isn't the most exciting name on the list of their rotation guys and, and who to talk about, but it is – helpful what he's doing right now because the Mets aren't it's not like they're they've got tons of guys slated into the 2020 rotation no matter what happens in 2019 yeah good Steven Matz is very very good for the New York Mets uh, very important he and in fact he could factor into what we were talking about earlier the Wheeler decision because if he does if he finishes out the season this way you look, I think you look the Mets look at him differently than they did even a couple of months ago because consistency was always the issue with him now he's establishing some consistency. He looks like a different guy. The changeup, I think all this stuff has come into play for him. The changeup has made him better. The cur he's gone back to the curveball, and he's trusted the curveball. He's throwing it with more break, more depth. And, he's not, he's, and he's got, somebody's gotten him to throw inside the righties more with this fastball and establish that and you know, kind of straighten the righties up and then go away with the other stuff, the changeup in particular. He does look like a guy that, yeah, you, you can count. He's really your... You know, he's almost taken the place of what you kind of expected Wheeler, you know, to be able to do for that for that uh, part of the rotation. So, yeah, it is big because they got him under control for two more years, just like Syndergaard. Yeah, and apparently he's been doing it with a limited repertoire. You don't know how long, but he's got that blister. has been hurting him throwing off speed. So hopefully he, he won't miss any time. By the way, you're listening to the Shannon Podcast presented by Aetna Better Health of New Jersey, a New Jersey family care health care plan helping you live your happiest and healthiest life. For more information, go to www.etnabetterhealth.com slash New Jersey. Uh, I want to save Stroman for the series preview with the Cubs, um, assuming he pitches. The Braves series, Harp, in your opinion, I, the way I asked the question going into the Braves series on Baseball Night New York was, are we overlooking the Braves by saying that the Mets are the favorites in this series? Because we looked at the probables for starting pitchers, and it did seem like the Mets were the favorites. And the answer to that, I think, turned out to be yes. Um, but did you take away that the Mets are, are just that much below 
their competition at the top of the division? Not, not really. I mean, the one thing that stands out to me is just how dynamic that Braves' first four hitters in the lineup are and how tough that is for pitchers to get through. But really, the bottom. But actually, the pitcher, the Mets pitching did pretty well against those yep. guys for the most part. Donaldson hurt them the one game. They, this is probably, it might be the best uh, series they've had against Freeman in a long time. Uh, Cunha hurt Wheeler, uh, but no, I, I really think it came down to the Mets not getting timely hits against. You know, I mean, Fultonevich, he's not a guy that should you know blow you away. Uh, you know, uh, Keiko when he's on, he's a guy that can do that. He's he finessed them. But I do, I, I think it came down to timely hitting. Alonzo, really, other than that home run, you know, he was not a factor this weekend. They, they you know, McNeil didn't play, what, Friday? Was that the game? He McNeil got into came into the game Saturday, played on yeah. Sunday. That's, they, that's when they, it looked like they were really starting to miss McNeil, and he comes yep. back, gives them a little bit of spark Saturday. But I do think, you know, they were bound to cool down a little bit. They were getting some awful clutch hits. Right. And then the bullpen. Right now, the Braves' bullpen is working. You know, you got Melanson at the back end. You got some of these other guys that are pitching okay. So, but I don't, I don't, I don't see a huge gap. I see a. The Braves are better all around. They're probably better defensively as well, and they're more athletic and things like that. But the way the Mets had hit, were hitting, I thought they could come in because uh, you know the way they've been playing at home too. I thought they would win two out of three or could at least, and they they just didn't hit. Yeah, I was going to, you know, wax poetic about the fact that, you know, you, you go through periods like the Mets did where everybody's not only hot but clutch. Yeah. And both of those will eventually go away. But I think the clutch part is more important because, you know, you mentioned um, how hot they were and you have a guy like Todd Frazier hitting that miraculous three-run homer against the Nationals. He had an opportunity to do that yesterday and beat out a double play. Yeah. You know, you can't rely on the Luis Guillorme pinch hit home run to bail you out of situations as good as Guillorme's been off the bench, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But this is just the way the baseball season works, is it not? Because you're just not always going to get those types of performances. It is. It is. That's the ebbs and flows of a baseball season. And But you do expect you, you want to ride those hot streaks as long as you can. And it, it's got to be disappointing to them after they sweep the, the Indians at home to come in and not win a game against the Braves. That's got to... It's got to be kind of a wake-up because now, you know, it does. It puts a lot of pressure on them, sets up this Cubs series uh, this week. So, so let's see. talk about that. Um, looking ahead, we've got the day off, starts Tuesday night. What is the one thing that you are – I know you have a column out there on the series, but what is the one thing you're going to be watching most closely in this series? I think it's got to – well, for starters, it's got to be Stroman because I don't know – you know, we still – is anybody sure what he is at this point? I mean, he was a solid pitcher. He was a really good pitcher for the Blue Jays. But, I, you know, you watch him, and he doesn't have the kind of stuff that some of these other guys have that can just blow hitters away. To me, he's got to be really really sharp and really fine with his slider and his, and his sinkers, two-seamer. Uh, otherwise, he could get hit hard. And, he, you know, he, he's, he's talked about how he loves the big moment. You know, he back, practically was campaigning to be traded to the Yankees. Now, this is a pretty big moment. You know, at City Field, uh, they, they, the Mets are going to have to beat the Cubs, I think, two out of three, to really have a feel like they're in this wild card thing, you know, uh, because the Cubs are vulnerable right now. They've been bad on the road. I think the Mets have to take advantage of that. But I think it starts with Stroman, because if he comes out and delivers, then that sets the tone for the series. And then you've got, you got, what, Syndergaard and DeGrom, right? Yeah, do you, do you feel – I'm going to check on the probables. Do you feel like you – are finding out 
the pitcher Marcus Stroman is? Is this the same guy that was pitching in Toronto and you're just waiting to see how he works in New York? Or do you sense a difference in his stuff since he's arrived? Like, you're, you're putting it out there, the question that, you know, what is Marcus right. Stroman? Is that because you weren't sure what he was in Toronto or you're just not sure what he is? Yeah, now? I mean, I think it's, you know, when you, you don't watch a guy all the time, you see him now and then, and you see his number. He looked, he looked kind of like, a, I mean, this is, but, you know, he's, he hasn't had great years in the past. This was probably his best year. His ERA was under three, I think, right, when they traded him. But then you watch him in, come over here and you just, you know, his, he's got to be, it looks like he's guy's got to be really crisp and really sharp to be able to, to buzz through a lineup you know, three times or whatever, get it into the seventh inning. He hasn't given the Mets a whole lot of length. I know he had the hamstring issue this last uh, start, but uh, I don't know. I need to see him be able to do- – he hasn't dominated yet as a Met. I need to see him be able to dominate with that sinker and slider and get guys to chase because I haven't seen a lot of chasing against right. his stuff down in the zone, which is, I think, what he's been about, really, as a, as a Blue Jay. It is Syndergaard and DeGrom uh, in the games two and three of the series – I was just thinking as you were talking about the dominating part of Stroman's game, it, it's fascinating because I like watching sinker ballers. I'm sure you do too. There's an art to doing it right and doing it well. It is, however, much harder to dominate. Yeah. And you'll feel like Marcus Stroman is, is, is just coasting, and then you'll realize it's only the fourth inning. Right. Um, Seems like he has to work pretty hard yes. against some of these guys to get out. When DeGrom's on the mound – um, it, it's different when Syndergaard's on the mound and he's right. It's different because a lot of more, a lot more weapons, um, easier to yeah, dominate. Even Wheeler when he's going good, when he's going, you know. Could you bring in Wheeler back into it? Trying to get pump him up again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can't give up on him yet. What, explain to our listeners the offensive side, the preview that you, you wrote for SNY.TV about how you think left-handed bats could play heavy earlier on the series. Well, especially against Darvish, who uh, has I guess it hasn't been confirmed, but he lines up to be the guy. The Cubs haven't announced it, but he lines up to be the starter Tuesday night. And uh, his splits are pretty dramatic. He's, I think he's held right-handed hit into like 178 average. Uh, lefties are more like 259, but the lefties, the slugging percentage is way up. A lot more home runs. He's vulnerable against the lefties. You know, he's got that wipeout slider right. that makes him really tough on righties. So... I think the I think the Mets have to. They're kind of they're kind of. It's funny because they they used to be left-handed dominated lineup. Now they don't have enough good left-handed hitters in that lineup, uh, and I think they have to do what they can to get as many lefties in there against Darvish, and probably against uh, Hendricks too. He's not as much a much of a really right-handed dominated guy, but I do think the way to do that is you're going to probably play McNeil at third base, keep Panic at second. And, you know, Frazier's probably the odd man out. And I looked it up. Frazier's hitting like 165 in August, a, a month. And, and, and he's under 200 since the All-Star break in the second half. So he had that big home run. But other than that, he hasn't done much lately. So it really comes down to where else would you go? You could play McNeil and left, take J.D. Davis out. But he's been too good to take him out. Yep, agreed. You could, uh, you could keep McNeil in the outfield, move Conforto over and take Ligaris out. But Ligaris has played well, too, and he's, his defense has really been good. So it just seems like Todd Frazier is kind of the odd man out right now to get that extra left-handed batting, especially against Darvish. A lot of times these conversations figure themselves out, but I am curious. We've seen Todd Frazier's hot streaks help carry this team yeah. at times, and he's a really streaky hitter. Right now, as you mentioned, the numbers, uh, it's not good. But – how, if you're Mickey Callaway, do you go about, you know, playing your best nine, which right now I agree would not include Todd Frazier, but also knowing that 
you know, by September 10th, it's very possible that he could hit 400 in a 15-game span and help you get into a wild-card spot. So as easy as it is on Twitter for Mets fans to say, just get Frazier out, he's an automatic out right now, he's good defensively, and he can carry your team offensively when he's hot. So I'm just not sure how you do accomplish both of those yeah, things. Yeah, I know. It is. And, and Callaway, he's given him a lot of rope here. But he's, they've also had injuries, so he almost had to. Uh, but he's, he's, you know, he's also he's not giving you the power for the season that you kind of expected either. His power numbers are down. Uh, but I, I do I like his glove there at third. He's made a couple of he's had a couple of hiccups lately. But I like his glove there, and I think Callaway sees him as a guy who's been through the wars where he can help the you know the veteran in the clubhouse and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I, look, I would still at least get him in there against left, this series against Lester. Lester's on Thursday, so mm -hmm. get him in. His numbers are better against lefties than righties. That's the other part of this. I looked at his numbers too. He's only hitting about 210 against right-handed pitching, so. He's been much better against lefties, so it might come down to where you're going to have to just platoon him down the stretch here unless he does get hot. And uh, I think they, you know, I mean, I think they have to take advantage of McNeil's versatility because he can play 30 and he can play solidly wherever. And it's not like panic is, is tearing it up, but he's gotten some big hits for him, so kind of still want him in second. I tell you, you mentioned him before. Guillaume's kind of a curious guy. I you know, I enjoy watching his at bats. He's he got has. A, he's had some good he, contact swing from the left yeah, side. Yeah, and he's had uh, he's had was having a good year in AAA. So at some point you may want to look at look at him. I think right now they feel like Panic's veteran. He's been through the pennant races and all that helps this team too. But uh, I do think they need to find a way to get as many lefties as they can against uh, right-handed pitching. And that, that, I'm curious to see, too, what, what's going on with Nimmo. Because he had a good night in rehab, I guess, Sunday, a good day in rehab in Syracuse Sunday. I don't know if they think he's close yet or not. But he could be a guy to come back. And then at that point, then you could probably have to make a decision, well, how much are we going to keep going with Ligaris? Right. Because you know, Nimmo could help you with – he could play some center field. Back to McNeil, I thought you made a good point earlier as to at the end games, two and three, really, of the Braves series, you started to sense his absence more than you had. You know, yeah. the, the Indians did not play well in that yeah. series, but everyone else was picking up, um, uh, carrying the load, and you didn't really sense the fact that you had a 330 hitter out of your lineup. But towards the end of the Braves series, you just wanted that presence at the top of the lineup where yeah. one out of every three at-bats, chances <laughs> are he's going to get on base in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned playing him at third base. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I do find it interesting to talk about McNeil's future because, you know, guys like Ben Zobrist, um, problem is every team thinks they have one right. until they realize it doesn't work unless his name is Ben Zobrist. Yeah. Is Jeff McNeil's future – that guy or do you want to say to him spring training next year all right third base yeah that's I it. mean it's nice to have that kind of versatility but I feel like you, you kind of want to put him in a place and leave him there at some point you know I don't know he does seem to be a guy that can thrive no matter where you put him he, he seems to just love to play I mean he loves to jump into the netting and right field and make those acrobatic catches he, he just loves to play so maybe if, if you can I mean it's a valuable thing to have but if you're going into next year, who is your third baseman now? Is Jed Lowry back? Is he going to be back and in the picture again? I mean, maybe he is going to – they're talking like maybe now we could see him before the end, of the, the end of this season. So we'll see. I mean, ideally, I guess they would see Lowry. I, I don't think Frazier will be here. I, I, I think they would see Lowry as a starter if he's still the guy they thought they were signing. And in that case, 
then yeah, McNeil becomes that super utility. He's more than a super utility guy. He's got to be in the lineup every day. Right. But it's just, just a matter playing of where. A different yeah. position. And uh, you know, there's still Cano's still going to be playing second base. So um, maybe you can maybe you're going to rest him more than you have in the past because he's starting to get hurt now. So uh, it's tempting. I still I you know I would like to see him put McNeil somewhere and leave him there. But I understand how valuable that can be to a, to a ball club. But this team should have should have a lot of depth next year too. You would think. That's the thing. It's depth, and almost for that reason, in terms of the you're trying to figure out who you value most coming off of the injured list. I would put Nimmo's importance ahead of Cano and Lowry at this point. You know, you, you mentioned them, and it's like, man, I, you know, I feel like the Mets are fine without Robinson Cano, without yeah, Jed Lowry, yeah. and maybe that's a mistake of me because, you know, Robbie Cano, if you get him hot, you ever get hot, yeah, is a great hitter. Not good, but great. But Nimmo right now, and it, it coincides obviously with your column, but I think he could really be an important piece for this team. Lagares has been nice to ride yeah. in this hot streak, and he brings it defensively. But I do think Nimmo, if you're going to get the 800 OPS, if you're going to get the 400 on base percentage, is a big guy to get back that yeah. maybe we're undervaluing right now. Well, that's the thing. Are we even sure what Nimmo is right now? Because well, remember, I don't know. Maybe it was the neck injury, but he didn't look like the same guy this year that he did last year. That first, what was he there for the first month, six weeks? Well, he ran season. into that wall, and then he wasn't it, the it same. It could be, but he was getting beat. Pitchers had found, looked like they had found a hole up and in on him, and they were beating him right from the first day of the season, before even before he got that injury. Now, you would have thought they would have found that hole long before that, and you've seen it in, in, in 18, but he was able to stay off those pitches. So you're right. If he's that 400-on-base guy, that's, that's really valuable. If he can play, he, I mean, he's okay in center. He's not Lagaris, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, look, you want, you want those lefty bats in there if you can against right-handed starters. Well, Harp, it's been a pleasure as always. But before we let you go, um, we do my Saturday night. I don't know if you're aware. No. Maybe I haven't done it when you've come on the podcast. No. But we do this thing when it's Andy and, and me. We do um, whatever you did on Saturday night. You have to tell the audience what you were up to. <laughs> so in my case, I was, um, I was at the River Market, which is a restaurant that I've given pub on this podcast before. It's in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. It's a fantastic restaurant. It's got about eight tables. Great Great place, great service. Having dinner in Point Pleasant, Jersey Shore. Nice time with my family. Nice. That's what I was up to. What nice. were you up to? <laughs> what was I up to Saturday night? Uh, it is oftentimes hard for Andy to remember, so do not feel <laughs> like it's weird that you can't remember what you were doing on Saturday night. Uh, you know what? I think I was uh, – my wife was down at the, shore, at the shore. I was not at the shore because we had some other things going on this weekend that I had to be home. You were probably watching Mets baseball. I, I was watching a lot of Yeah, I was definitely watching the Mets at, at 7 o'clock. I, I think uh, – I'm trying to remember what I did for dinner. It might have been uh, – <laughs> it might have been a run to uh, Annabella's uh, – you don't have to – the rule is not that you have to tell the audience the exact location of your dinner. It's just a general vibe. Annabella's of Italian Kitchen. You okay, can't that's beat great. It. You can't beat it. All I right. had, uh, had their excellent uh, chicken parmesan. There you go. Yeah. Love a chicken parm. All right. Um, well, Harp, we appreciate you coming on. It's good to Always have you. Always enjoy it, Doug. Uh, we look forward to the Cubs series. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. I believe we have Adam Fisher set to join us for next week's episode, so that'll be good as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week.